0: you're tuned into positively terrible i'm producer dan and each week my buddy scott and i discuss surviving and thriving after trauma it's a journey that started when scott his wife's fiance and her boyfriend walked into a bar this week's decent human being is amy she's got a fucked up story about living with a broken neck settle in my terrible listeners today's episode is going to be positively terrible
1: listen stressed
0: because I thought you were the best I was right Hey Scott Dan, what's going on man how are you I'm well man how are you
2: uh, You know uh, I've, I I've been better but I'm on the mend uh it's been it's been, it's been kind of uh disappointing being away from the mic for so long though
0: Disappointing indeed I would I would, I would agree with that
2: Yeah yeah But I'm so, glad you're here we're doing uh, it and I've been complaining to everyone who will listen that I've had COVID, it's kinda of long COVID, uh, all of that stuff. So um if I'm not perfect today, which I'm never perfect, but if I'm especially not perfect today, just, just give me a little slack, okay, Dan? Yeah, we'll 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 give you the grace you deserve, Scott. Not a problem. Awesome. That's what this is all about. So we've got Amy here as well today. Amy, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on today. We really Indeed. appreciate you being here. And uh, just for, for for the terrible listeners who thinks we're a well-oiled uh, operation, Amy agreed this morning at about 10 or 11 o'clock that she would record with us today. Um, so we're, we're lucky to be bringing you anything today. So uh, everyone be very grateful for Amy. And if you're not going
0: to be not, grateful. Not only I, are we lucky to bring you anything, we're incredibly lucky that Amy, who is fantastic and has a, wonderful story and an awesome setup and it's totally shown up on time and well-prepared. She's here putting us to shame. So thank you, Amy. I'm happy
1: to do it. I'm going to rephrase
2: wonderful story might be a, might not be the perfect words for it, but it's almost hey, like there's up never up. the perfect words for it uh, <laughs> when we're, we're talking to people who have experienced trauma. So, uh, and, and actually you gave us a wonderful summary before when you were just talking to Dan and me. So why don't you tell the listeners uh, a little bit about your story and while you're here today?
1: Sure. I passed out and landed on my face on the hardwood floor. The impact broke my neck, but that went undetected for six months. So I continued to live with a broken neck. I had to lay flat in a bed for 23 hours a day for almost a year. I prayed that I would die. I tried to die, but I decided that instead of dying, it might be worth fighting to live instead. And so that's what I do now with the intention of using my story to help other people.
2: That is intense. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's the third time i've heard you say that uh and every, every time my mouth drops a little bit and, and i don't even i don't even know what to say but um that sounds uh, you, you know incredible that you're here with us today and i don't mean just with us and the listeners i mean here on this planet it sounds like a hell of an ordeal and uh just kind of want to start to to go back to that time in in your life and um you know, find out what was going on in your life at the time. Tell me a little bit uh, about you uh, during that period and and before the incident that led to the, to the to the injuries.
1: Of course, I was. It was in 2013. I was working at a major university here in Oklahoma. I was helping schools and communities learn to work more effectively together, and I was le- working lots and lots of hours, taking my kids everywhere, doing everything for everyone. You know, being a, having a family and. The very next day, I couldn't even take care of myself. And so it was such a blow to not only me, but to my family, because they were so used to me doing everything with them and for them. And the very next day, I couldn't even take myself to the restroom. Wow. How how old were your kids at the time? My daughter was a senior in high school. My son was a freshman in high school, and my little guy was four years old. So I completely missed that entire year of their lives. That's wow.
2: That's, you know, I I mean, when, when you said senior, it's like, well, that's an important time in somebody's life. Then you say freshman. That's I mean, when when they're that young, uh, all of the times are important and informative years. And while they you, you know, you're playing kind of a different role to all three of them at, at that time. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And they- and. So what kind of life were, I mean, were your kids like into different sports and stuff or clubs? I mean, are you running around doing everything at this point of your life?
1: I was pretty much running other people's kids around because I was working in the school system um, as a consultant for uh, schools in the area, helping them learn to make their programs more effective, taking their students to trips, uh, touring colleges, giving them opportunities to see that there's life beyond high school, what their options were. And so I really spent a lot more time, and I say this in all honesty, I spent a lot more time with other people's kids than I did with my own because I was taking them places and my kids, yes, uh, my daughter was in band, my little guy was in soccer, Mm -hmm. but I really spent most of my life working and that's not a place I wanted to be. I was not a happy person then. Sure. I did not like that person that I was because I spent way too much time doing things for other people and not enough time with my family. Did, did you realize that in
2: the moment or is that something you just realized later?
1: It. I think I understood it in the moment, but it didn't really hit me until later um, when I was able to start to get better. And then I was forced to spend time with my family because I couldn't do anything else. I, I mean, a judge and the state of Oklahoma has uh, rendered me unable to work because I can only hold my head up for a few hours at a time. So I can't be dependable enough to hold a job. And so I had to just stay home and, you know, be with my family a lot. And I realized then this is what I've been missing. I have been missing out on all of this, trying to help other people's kids and then missing out on the lives of my own children. And so it came later. The realization came later.
2: So how were you how were you feeling at, at the time? I mean, like health-wise, were you doing okay leading up to this event?
1: I, you know, a couple months before that, I had not been feeling well. I felt lightheaded, I felt just not right, kind of dizzy, and had gone to my doctor a few times to say something's just not right. I don't know what it is. He didn't know. Um, he sent me to a neurologist, he didn't know. And they just said, you know, I probably needed to rest more, drink more water, that kind of stuff. And Did you, did it, you rest more? Did I rest more? No. <laughs> I <did> not, <laughs> unless I was forced to. There were times where I literally couldn't stand up because I was so dizzy. And so my body was definitely telling me something's not right here, um, but I didn't really listen to it right.
2: and, at that and- time. And sorry, I, I threw that out there because I know most of us <laughs> don't listen to our doctor's instructions until until we absolutely have to. And uh, maybe I'm even a little guilty of that. We were talking about my long COVID recently, uh, and I've just been super busy and yeah. not doing the things that I need to do for myself necessarily. So like this weekend, this is kind of the first activity I'm doing because I'm like, this is the weekend when I'm not going to leave my house or, or or do anything because sometimes you gotta remember to take care of yourself um, yes, okay, yeah, so so, so you're raising a family, you are it sounds like super committed to your work, overworking, even mm-hmm. not feeling the best. There's something going on, but there it's not anything that's diagnosed or diagnosable um, All right, and that leads up to an incident. And, and can you tell us a little bit about what happened there?
1: Sure. I wasn't feeling well again and got up. It was during the night, got up to take some medicine and just ended up passing out in the living room, the hardwood floor. I passed out. I landed on the left side of my face. Um, the impact sheared my brain stem, caused a traumatic brain injury. And like I said, it actually broke my neck but that went undetected for six months because the head pain was so severe. I had chronic migraines anyway, before that. But after this, they were 10 times worse. I literally could not lift my head up without it feeling like a train was sitting on it. So my doctors, my neurologists were focused on how do we help her with this head pain? And nobody took a look at my neck until six months later. And they realized oh crap, (laughs) there's an injury there, you know? And so then it was nine months before I could have surgery and the damage was just too extensive. It had already been starting to uh, grow that way. And so it's, I just live that way now. I live with a broken neck now. I had, there are lots of other issues that came with it. Oh my goodness. I still have chronic fatigue syndrome, chronic migraines. I had cerebral spinal fluid leaks, um, which if you're not familiar with that, that's, what, that's why it felt like there was a train sitting on my head, um, because I ended up, they figured out I have cysts all along my spine, so the impact burst one of the cysts, and so the cerebral spinal fluid was leaking out that cyst, and so I, my brain was essentially sinking down into my neck when I would sit up, and so I had to go through a whole series of blood patches and a whole process to try to get that figured out. So, um, so yeah. much, so much.
0: Let me, uh, let me just paint a picture of the anatomy as I understand it, and tell, correct me if I'm wrong here. So your brain and your spinal cord, this is a closed system, and it's got spinal fluid in it, right? And right. And everything is kind of suspended, your brain in particular, with the spinal fluid. And if there's a leak in that, then that brain is going to not be su- suspended, but it's going to sit down in places that it's not particularly designed to rub against regularly. Is that correct?
1: Yes. Including the spinal, the spinal cord. Yes. Yeah, so pressing let's, on my spinal cord.
0: Pressing on the spinal cord. And you mm-hmm. also.
1: Sheared.
0: The, yes. Tell me about the shearing of the brainstem. <laughs> I'm going to yes.
2: jump in and say that I have been waiting to ask this question because <laughs> you, you, and you know, every time we've talked to the, the, the every time. The, the few times that we you've, you've mentioned this, you've focused a little bit on the, the living with the broken neck. And mm-hmm. when a layman hears steered brainstem, uh, and maybe when a professional <laughs> hears it as well, uh, <laughs> they think, oh, wow. Uh, but yeah. what, what does that mean? And, and yeah, can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Sure. Um, I had a medical professional that I did an interview with not too long ago say, she has never ever seen anyone with a sheared brainstem that actually survived it, and I had didn't realize that. But um, I ended up going. Congratulations! To a, <laughs> thank you. you know, one of a kind.
2: If you're going to be one of a kind of something,
0: that's a good one.
1: <laughs> exactly. Apparently, I have a purpose here that I need to fulfill, so <laughs> here I am. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I hope up... it's
0: more important than this crummy podcast. <laughs>
1: I mean we oh. are big time,
2: but not not I mean
1: <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> My friends ended up gathering enough money together for me to go to a brain center in Dallas. Um I stayed there for two weeks. Okay, and they're the when, ones
2: when, when exactly
1: is this? When um it was 2016, so it was two years after the injury. Okay. okay. Yeah. The injury was in 2014. Um And so it was at the brain center that they figured this out and what they did, like they have some non-conventional stuff they do there, but it works. Like they work with the Dallas Cowboy football team to help rehabilitate them. Serious neurological things that they're doing there that are wild, wildly amazing. But it essentially was like, they took this huge battery, you know, like a a D battery that has the two little things on the ends. Is it C or D? I don't know. Anyway. Anyway.
0: Well, and, uh, it's the 9-volt that has them both on one end, the square yes. battery.
1: <laughs> this That's is the
0: what stuff I'm Dan likes to talk about.
1: <laughs> yes, there you go, Dan. Thank you. 9-volt. <laughs> That's what I'm after, the 9-volt. It was like a huge one of those that they put in specific places on my tongue because the tongue has the nerves in it that connect to the brainstem. And so something about whatever they did with that contraption was able to reconnect my brainstem. And so they put it in different different spots on my tongue um, for two weeks, and it helped pretty much re- reconnect the brainstem in that area that it was sheared. The doctor told have... me that. Go ahead. Go ahead. The doctor told me that it was the impact, like the the severe impact that I hit with, that just literally sheared off that part of that brainstem, and so they just had to get it to reconnect.
0: I have touched my tongue many times with a nine volt battery i wonder if i have a super (laughs) strong brain stem now (laughs) i'm gonna have to to get your doctor's number and see if he wants to study me
2: so amy when when you're saying that's two years later that you were able to do this and i I guess that's when it was repaired I, i don't even know how to say that um was it was that piece diagnosed immediately? Though was it clear from the start that it was a sheared brainstem?
1: No, no. They put me through a whole battery of tests, and they had to um, move me around, check the strength here, the strength there. Do you feel dizzy when I do this? Do you feel lightheaded when I do that? It was a whole battery of tests um, that helped them figure out that that's what was going on. Okay, and that my that my brain was still pushing on my spinal cord, excuse me. Um, but yeah, they had me doing like, I couldn't, I couldn't tell where I was in space, like because of that missing, uh, connection in my brainstem, I couldn't tell where I was. So my balance was off. I would run into things because, Oh, I didn't realize I was that close to it. I would step on things because I didn't realize that's where my foot was. And so they put these electrodes. <laughs> this sounds insane, but they put these electrodes in like a water bath where I put my feet in and they turn the electrodes on to um, re readjust the nerves on the bottoms of my feet. And that also helped somehow reconnect the brainstem. So it's pretty wild, but but it definitely helped.
2: Yeah, and, and it's, nerve work is crazy. Yeah. And 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 yeah. you know, you're describing some some symptoms um, like hey, struggling to, you know, step, you're, you'll step on things because you don't know where your body is or your feet are exactly. But let's back up. Cause it sounds like it was probably a long road to even get to a point where you were stepping. <laughs> um, yeah. you said you were in bed 23 hours a day. Well, hopefully, I think you said, you either said that when we were talking to you earlier or at the beginning of this. So, um, can we talk about like right after the accident? Yeah, uh, what's
0: the, what What happens that night? You, you, you fall, yeah. is, is there, like, does the ambulance come that night? Does somebody find you? <laughs> what's,
1: what I don't like night? to talk about this part because my husband is like, I told you. Anyway, yes, I will talk about it. So I pass out. It's like, it's like a dream. Um, I don't know that I left my body. I'm not going to say that because I don't recall that. But when I woke up, I was just like. Where am I? What's happening? And I could just see this little tiny, it's like a pinhole of light. That's all I could see was this little pinhole of light. And I was just so confused and became aware enough that I'm laying in the middle of the living room floor. What is happening? And so I go to push myself up and the extreme pain that I was in it, I can't even express it. And so I just laid there for a minute and I just thought, "What, what happened? I was so confused. So I called for my husband. He's an immensely deep sleeper. Like, I didn't really think I would wake him, but I just, because I could barely talk. And so I was just like, oh, you know, and he woke up and instantly he came out there and he was like, what is happening? Let me call the ambulance. And I said, no, no, don't call him. Just take me to the bed. Let me lay down. I'll be fine. Because I had, <laughs> here I'm going back to my job again, I had an event planned for over 200 students that I was the chaperone. I was organizing it all. I put it all together. I was in charge of everything in two days, two days from then. And I was like, no, I have that event. I have to go. I have to be this person, you know? And so he listened to me and put me in the bed, didn't call the ambulance. And he still tells me to this day, if I had called the ambulance, they would have checked your neck. But, you know, it is what it is. I was stubborn. I refused to allow him to call and ended up in the ER the next day.
2: Did your kids wake up at all during when you were down?
1: You know, it's funny that you say that because I felt like I was going to vomit. And so I headed toward my daughter's, uh, the bathroom where my daughter's room was. And I ended up just on all fours on the floor. Like, I, I'm not, I can't do this. You know, I I feel horrible. And in an instant, I thought, I need to knock on her door. I need to wake her up and have her help me to back to the bed. But I didn't. I, I thought, no, I can do this. Here I am, you know. My mom told me all growing up, you're so hard-headed. You know, I think determined is a better word for it. But in this case, I would say it was hard-headed. I, I didn't wake her up. It was right then I stood up to go back to my bed. And that's when I passed out. Wow. So, so many factors, so many things came into play there, you know.
2: Yeah. And hard-headed has a bit of a bad connotation, right? Or a negative connotation. And one of the things that we've, you know, we record these episodes weekly, usually until I go ahead and get COVID. (laughs) Um, And one of the things that we find over and over is just how hard it is for people to ask for help Um, and, and admit that we even need that help. So, you know, give yourself some grace there. You're not the only one. Um, A lot of us do that. And a lot of us end up with our traumas (laughs) because
0: frankly, you know, that's the tenacity that also gets celebrated an awful lot in our culture. Right. So you suck it up and you keep pushing and you keep working and you keep doing. And um, so, yeah, not only are you not alone, but you know, that's, that's, often celebrated and praised
2: i mean that's a great point and you mentioning the dallas cowboys and where they do the how many times have i watched a football game where they have said well this guy just blah 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 two weeks ago and he's back today and that's
1: that is celebrating. celebrating that mm-hmm. right yeah
2: right if yeah. i remember correctly there was a player that was shot that came back like two weeks later last year and that was you know some people were like excited about that and i think that at least we're getting to a point where I'm starting to hear the other side now, like, wait a second, is, is that actually a good thing? Is that actually something to celebrate? But I mean, it feels like even with something like that, that that's been very recent that I'm starting to hear people think about the other side. So a decade yeah. ago, you know, you're, you're, it sounds like you're carrying the world on your shoulders, trying to do everything by yourself, not necessarily, I mean, I'm, I'm not making judgment on anyone else, but you sure. don't want help, right? Right. And you have this incident. Maybe things could have been done differently. They weren't. It's in the past. And you're suddenly in this situation. So you said you ended up in the ER. How
1: many hours later was that? It was, it was about 24 hours later. Oh, I wow. literally, yeah, I laid there trying to figure out. Do I just need to rest? Am I just overtired? Because I've been working so much. I thought, I'm just too tired. I just need to rest. And, you know, 24 hours later, when I was still in that much pain, I said, all right, I got to give in. That's what I felt like. Like, I'm giving up. Like, I'm giving in. And I was just gonna ask
2: I was just gonna ask like what what was it that that led to that decision? Was it just that it wasn't going away or was it getting worse or was your husband in your ear saying, Let's go, let's go?
1: (laughs) He was always in my ear saying, Let's go, let's go. Okay. But it it really was the fact that I literally couldn't take myself to the restroom. Like I could not get up. I would have to get on all fours and he would come in there like, What are you doing? I said, I'm trying to go to the bathroom and you know, he would help me. Mm-hmm. in there. And so at that point, I'm like, yeah, something's really wrong here. This is not okay. Yeah, and so, at this point, I, have,
2: have, have your kids figured out there's something wrong yet in this 24 hours?
1: I, you know, I don't know that they did. They, at that time, they didn't see enough of me. I hate to even say that out loud, but they mm-hmm. didn't see me enough. I mean, they probably knew mom is home and not at work. Something is really wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was on the weekend And so that, I think that makes a difference too. This was Mm -hmm. Saturday night. So it was all Sunday that I was laying in bed. And then it was Monday when I, Monday morning, first thing we went to the, to the ER.
2: And did, did your husband just drive you or did you call an ambulance at that point?
1: No, he, I'm, (laughs) I had him drive me. Okay, I had him drive me. Yeah.
0: Okay. And yeah. So then what's the, uh, what's the ER like? What, what are they doing to you? How long are you there? What do they find?
1: Oh what do they goodness. decide? Really not much. Um, they ended up with some kind of dizziness diagnosis. I don't even remember the name of it because I don't remember half of that time, mm-hmm. um, which is another part of having a brain injury. Like I don't have amnesia, but literally I lose chunks of time. Like my husband would say, Um, The other day when we talked about this and I would, there would be no recollection of having that conversation at all. Um, That's better, but I still struggle sometimes with not remembering, you know, things. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I came away from that with a, some kind of diagnosis about dizziness. They gave me these patches to put, I think, behind my ear um, and some stuff for nausea and then some stuff for head pain and told me to go see my neurologist. And so that's what I did bruised face. You know, I had um, my, it was obviously bruised because I Mm -hmm. slammed right into it. Um, Later found out that it was actually injured. There were some pieces that were not in the right place um, that had grown together. And just a lot, like there's just so much of this story. There's so many layers to it. Yeah.
2: Did they not do like x-rays and a bunch of tests? No MRI. Um, And. They,
1: I was that? Was they probably that? did. Yeah, they did a CT scan. That's what oh, they did okay. at first. Okay. They did a CT scan. They were looking for a brain bleed is what they were looking for. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. There was no brain bleed. And so they pretty much, that was it. But my injury is in the DENS. I don't know how familiar you are with anatomy. But the DENS is a little tiny tooth-like bone that stabilizes C1 and C2. It's what helps you hold your head up. It how stabilizes you your head. D-E-N-S. Thank you.
0: Yeah. I've I've been looking up some anatomy pictures as we've talked here. Oh, there you go. Yeah.
1: So the DENS is injured, um, but it's injured in a way that it's not visible on um, radiology, so they can't see it. Ah. Um, it was a visit to another doctor. I, have, I went through, I've been through six different neurologists. So I'm on my sixth one now. And it's funny because each one of them helped me in a different way. Mm-hmm. And so, on the second neurologist, he was able to figure out there's an injury to the dens. Um, and then the the next neurologist figured out that it's the injury. I also have an injury in uh it's c four through c seven um that's busted up that was just wow. completely busted up. yeah so it, it's it's strange because all of the neurologists I've been through, like I said, um helped in a different way. But it was the one um that really found the busted the busted C four through C seven. It was like you gotta have surgery. Like, how are you living like this? Right. Well so yeah, so, two-
2: did they send you home from the emergency room? Did they did they tell you to take some Advil and uh feel better? Or call us later. I mean
1: Yeah, don't even call us later. Just yes. make an appointment with your neurologist. I, I, yeah. yeah. Make an appointment with your neurologist and here's some pills. I, I have
2: at a loss i am at an absolute loss right now yeah. Amy. And, and i don't know if this is poor medical practice or something that is just so mm-hmm. uncommon and difficult to diagnose um or you know option three is also that at the time were you downplaying it at
1: all yeah it's a it's kind of a combination of all of them okay. because like i said they were so focused on my head pain i could not lift my head up without it hurting. And they were so focused on that, they really weren't trained to look for the den's injury. And like I said, on the they couldn't even see it on the radiology reports. Um, it took a doctor manipulating my head in different ways to figure out, oh, that's where the injury is. Um, but that was, you know, a few years later. That was even after the uh Dallas Brain Center. Okay. Um and so
2: Yeah, it's pretty wild. I hope they're done diagnosing you with things.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it it actually took, then it was six years um, before I got a diagnosis of uh, dysautonomia or POTS, um, which is a a dysfunction of the autonomic nervous system, which means my blood pressure just bottoms out sometimes and I pass out. And it took them six years to figure out that's why I passed out to begin with. So it's been a whole different version of doctors you know I, yeah I, I was just
2: gonna say we're gonna diagnose you right now as a decent fucking human so we're, we're just gonna get that out of the way i usually say that at the end but this is the hopefully your final diagnosis on on this on this part of the journey um
1: so i'll you, take that you yes. got,
2: you got <laughs> sent home and started going to doctors but i mean i i'm, I'm I'm again, I'm at a loss. This is one is really hard for me. Like, what's going on? You said that you were spending most of your time in bed. You couldn't do things. I mean, was that immediate or did you have some time in those first couple of weeks where, okay, maybe I can get around a little bit and then it got worse? Or are you in bed 23 hours a day from the day that it happens until, you know, a year later?
1: It's interesting that you asked me that because I should have been in bed 23 hours a day from the moment it happened. And I was for probably the first week, but then other people were having to do my job for me and they were messaging me like, where is this? Where can I find this? And I was like, I just got to go up there. I Mm -hmm. just have to go. I'm going to go back to work. And this was after um, a couple of blood patches that I had had. So I could hold my head up a little bit, but not for a long time.
0: What's a blood pet? I don't know that term.
1: Oh yeah, sorry. Um, when you have um, a leak in the cerebral spinal fluid, the, the what they do is they take um, they put a needle. <laughs> sorry if this is very graphic, but
0: oh, I I, they, I, I I'm here for the graphic. So okay, uh, as deep as they, you want to get.
1: <laughs> they insert a huge long needle into your spinal column, and then they take blood out of your arm. And then they take that blood and they insert it into the spinal column, into where that cerebral spinal fluid is, and that blood acts as a patch. It goes to wherever the hole, wherever the leak is, and it forms a barrier. And so okay. it covers whatever that hole is. Um, and I had I had that done. Um, it worked, and then it would it would like not take. Like some of them depends on how big the leak is how much activity you do afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, I kept blowing my patches because I would not lay down like I was supposed to. I wanted to be up and try to do things. And so I had five of those all together. I had five blood patches all together. Um, and it wow. was during one of those that I tried to go back to work. And everyone said, why are you here? You look like death. Go home. And they literally made me go home. And it was at that point that I realized, I just got to lay here. I don't know what else to do. And so I did for nearly a year and went into this deep, deep, dark hole. As you can imagine, I couldn't do anything for myself. And so I prayed and I prayed that I would die because I wasn't living. I was merely existing. And I knew that I had enough medication to make it happen. And I fully intended to use that medication. And I just had this moment of clarity where I remember thinking, What if I don't have to die? What if I don't have to? What if I just fight and try to get better? And then maybe if I get better, I can use my story to help other people. And so it was in that moment that I decided to instead of fighting to die, I was going to fight to live as long as I could use my story to help other people. And that's that's pretty much what I do now.
0: Wow. That's a a hell of a moment of clarity.
1: Right? I know. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) when you
2: started... I I can't imagine like when you finally relented and said, I need rest. um, Did you think that your journey was going to be okay a few weeks or a couple of days and things are going to be better at that point?
1: No, I knew just from the amount of pain I was in, the stuff I was trying to do that I could not even do, that it was going to be a long journey. I felt like this is going to be the rest of my life that I was going to have to spend the rest of my life laying flat in this bed. And that's and then, why I went into that deep place.
2: Yeah, were you begging doctors like to do more, to find other options? And Yeah.
1: Yes. I, I had to advocate for myself on a level that I have never had to advocate before um, because the doctors just weren't trained to look for that injury. They were so focused on other things And, but I knew there was something they were missing. Like, you know, you have that instinct inside that something's just not right here. And I just kept feeling like they're just missing something. And that's why I went through six different neurologists, because although they would find something, it still wasn't helping completely. And so I would just keep finding a new one um, and have my husband take me to them and see. And it, it, you know, was that process of going through all six of them.
2: Well, in healthcare professionals, they're not magicians. They're not all-knowing, right? And right. you literally said that. I don't. I don't remember who. I think maybe a neurologist said that it's the first time that they've heard of someone surviving a shared brainstem. Right. I mean, doctors see cases every day. You know, they're not looking for the outliers. They're they're looking for the stuff that is diagnosable and treatable and the things they've seen before and the things they've learned about. And to have this outlier case, I I mean, that sounds incredibly difficult to, to have to diagnose and, you know, it's medicine is incredibly complex to begin with. And then to have something that is rarely seen, it's, you know, to some extent, you've got to be lucky to have someone find, find out exactly. It's a lot of times, You know, you hear stories where a
0: doctor. Or bullheaded and tenacious, (laughs) which is the same thing that got us in this predicament, and now it's getting us out.
1: You got it, Dan. You got it. (laughs) It
0: it is your superpower and your curse.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yep, that's
0: right.
2: Exactly. Um, But, you know, you you said it. You knew it was going to take a long time. And you went to a really dark place. And how long did it take to first to to get to that dark place? I mean, was this after several doctors and not making any progress?
1: Yes. And then um, missing, my daughter was a senior. So, you know, they have all the senior activities. She was in orchestra band. She played an instrument Mm-hmm. And I was missing all play? of the stuff. She, she played the flute. Oh, woodwind. Yeah. Nice. A, a flutist. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so I was missing all of that. And they would show me pictures. It's going to make me emotional just thinking of it. They would show me pictures of her performing, of her being on stage, playing her part. And I was missing all of that. Normally I would have been able to take off work to go to see that, but I couldn't even lift my head off the bed. And so it was a combination of that. And the doctors just, I feel like they were failing me. Like they just, but they just didn't know. I have people ask me all the time, do you blame your doctors? And I don't, I don't, I have a wonderful care team. Um, They take, amazing care of me and they were doing the best they could they were doing what they were trained to do and I can't fault them for that Mm -hmm. and so yeah it was it was deep and dark um and it was oh probably six months into that where I was just like I don't know what's happening I don't know if I'm ever going to get better Mm -hmm. And that's when I thought, okay, I need to just end this. I need to be done with this because my my family was having to do everything for me. My husband said the house was like a nursing home or like a funeral home because I had to wear earplugs. I had to wear a mask over my eyes. I couldn't speak above a whisper. And they had to be so quiet and tiptoe around. They had to put the TV down really low and it was interfering with everyone's life. And I just felt like such a burden I thought they don't deserve this. I just need to put an end to this. And so that's when I considered doing that.
2: And Amy, a lot of times I ask in advance if there are things off limits. So you can tell me if you don't want to answer um, because I know that this is rather emotional. Um, But how were your kids at this time? How were they handling mom in this situation?
1: I think they were in shock, honestly. Um, My little guy, he was four. So he would come and lay in the bed with me and want me to play with him, you know, not understanding why I couldn't get up and play or do anything or why I was no longer picking him up from daycare or, you know, those kind of things. And my bigger kids just, they just kind of stayed away. I think they wanted to just give me space and they, I think they just, were shocked. They mm-hmm. didn't know how to take that I was so incapacitated after being so active for so long. I think they just didn't know what to do. Um, I remember when I was in the hospital after my neck surgery because I did have neck surgery. I do have a plate um, and screws, but it's still not fused. Like it's from C six and seven. It's it's been two thousand fifteen. So. Lots of years ago, it's still not fused, so it wobbles around in there. But while I was in the hospital after my neck surgery, I had to stay two weeks later to go to inpatient rehab to relearn how to walk again. And my son came to visit me, my my middle son. He was a freshman at the time. And when he got back to the house after visiting me, my daughter said she went into his room and he was curled up in a ball. in the fetal position, sobbing, just sobbing because he had never seen me like that. He just did not know what to expect. And that was just so out of character for me, you know, to be so incapacitated. And so they, they experienced trauma too. It wasn't just me. It was the entire family that was traumatized by this.
2: Yeah. And I mean, it sounds like you were went from someone who wanted to do everything to someone who essentially wasn't able to do anything and yeah I mean that's got to be just in itself that part has got to be a shock to your family and and given their age and everything I mean it would be hard for an adult to handle but for your children who depend on you in ways that adults don't it had to be I, I incomprehensible and I'm so sorry that you had to go through that, but I'm sorry that they did too. It's. it's
1: well, I appreciate that. Thank you. I now see it as a gift, which, you know, people, unless you have been through something like this, you just don't understand, but in a convoluted kind of way, mm-hmm. I see it as a gift because I didn't like the person I was back then. I didn't like how devoted she was to other people and not to her family And so because of all of this, I was able to do things that I wasn't able to do while I was working. I was able to spend time with my family. I was able to um, be with them in a way that was totally different than I had been before. And I appreciate life now. I'm able to use what I've been through to help other people. And so it's really given me the life I always dreamed about just in a roundabout kind of way.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And and that's where this podcast came from too is kind of our second act right you know i my life trajectory went in a a direction that i never expected it to and you can you can fight back you can make something of it or you can kind of give up and i am so fucking fulfilled with Mm -hmm. what we do and I was given an opportunity to live a life that I I did not I could never have expected. And I didn't even know I wanted or needed change. Yes. Yeah. And that's the wonderful thing about life and and our guests. And you know, kind of sharing these stories. And I, I think we've been going for about 45 minutes, 50 minutes at this point. So we're gonna start heading Towards the 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 wrapping up part. Um, but let's talk a little bit about that clarity, if you don't mind. And again, you know, if anything's too intense or, or hard, you can you can say let's let's pass on this, but do you remember like the day or, or the moment? Or is it something that just one day you kind of realized that. I mean, was there an exact moment when you're like, you know what, I'm doing this. I'm gonna
1: fight. That what I remember was just the feeling of that little tiny glimmer of hope of maybe, maybe I don't have to do this because I felt like at the time that was my only option that I just had to do. I had to do this because I couldn't see another way out. And then I just had this glimmer of hope that ah, maybe I don't have to do that. Maybe I can find another way out. And so I knew that with at the pace I was going that I would not get better because there was so much negativity flowing in my head that I just wanted my life back. I just wanted to be able to do something that I could do before. I just wanted this, just wanted that. So it was all negativity. And I realized I can't get better with that mindset. And so I knew I not only had to change it, but I had to replace it with something. And so I asked, Someone to uh, give me some earbuds that I turned down really, really low so I could handle it and play a podcast or an audiobook for me. And so I began listening to Tony Robbins and Dr. Wayne Dyer and Rumi and all those luminaries pouring in the positivity. And that's what made the difference that helped me believe that, okay, maybe I can, maybe there's another way. Maybe I can choose a different path. And um, that's how my. Business was born. It's called Polish the Mirror. It's based on a quote by Rumi um, that I don't know if you're familiar with or not. But yeah, is, that's pretty much is, what happened.
2: Is this the Persian uh, poet uh, or philosopher or something? There, there's a Rumi that's an old, hundreds of years ago, Persian that I know is famous for something, but I don't know very much about. Is this who we're talking about?
1: <laughs> yes, he's definitely a philosopher.
0: Okay. Um, okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So
0: what's the quote?
1: It's, um, ye who seek God apart, that which you seek thou art. If you wish to seek the beloved's face, polish the mirror and gaze into that space. So that told me that every answer I seek can be found within everything I'm looking for can be found within me. I just have to polish the mirror and be willing to look inside there, see the ugly, see the stuff that I don't want to see, accept it and move on. And so that's what I began to do. And that's what has helped me get out of that bed and be able to do what I do now.
0: That's awesome. And (laughs) there's some, some, you know, clearly not an awful lot of parallels, but some in my own life too, of, um, you know, of to make change. First, there's acceptance, right? There's acceptance of where we are. There's no going back. You can mourn what's gone, but, we have to accept where we are and then we can make change or work towards change or do what we're capable of. Um, that's a great quote. I love that. So you have a business called Polish the Mirror. What's your business do?
1: I offer uh, clean anti-aging smudge proof cosmetics and skincare, which I'm showing you, you, your listeners can't see, but it doesn't smudge. It lasts up to 18 hours. It's made in the USA, but I also,
0: well, you have looked great this whole time. So, <laughs> it wor- I can I can guarantee it works for at least fifty two minutes. Yeah, and, and I, I, I've already said it. I've
2: already said it again. I think it was before we started recording that I I, I literally said I need your makeup person and <laughs> I <laughs> and
1: I said I am my makeup person. But I just in real short, this um, when I partnered with this company called Synagents, they're local to me, which I found out. Um, after seven months with them, they asked me to share my story on stage in front of 2,000 women. And so I was able to develop my story and share it with these women. And that was life-changing for me, Just not just developing my story and sharing it with other people, but the messages I got after that of how it impacted other people's lives was just, it was so, so amazing. And so I started uh, a story development coaching program where I help people develop their stories and be able to share it with others or keep it for themselves because i believe everyone has a story we're sharing it's in there we just have to find it that's, and that's so that's people, what i do too.
2: I, I i hell i'm super interested in that that's um <laughs> i feel you know the first time not the first time but there was a time when i told my story and you and i i don't think i've talked in depth about it but it was about finding my wife's double and triple life uh because as we say at the beginning scott's walked into a bar with his wife's fiance and his wife's boyfriend and that's a true story and i told that story at a mental health event at work and literally four people messaged me and said holy shit i've got a similar story yeah. and within days of this happening i had told people and one of our first guests on this show like a friend of a, well not a friend of a friend she, she she'd been my friend but we met through friends years ago called me and was like holy shit i've got a story for you that's not that different and. Mm-hmm even if the stories that we have are different, there's a lot of the same human elements that are in them. And, you know, like I said earlier, you, you putting, not taking the advice of your doctors, keep going. And, you know, a lot of us do that type of stuff. And a lot of us put others, like you said, you got out of bed, you wanted to go back to work. And you're putting your job first, or you're putting the other people who are, in that position first, or the kids first. And it's like, that's another thing we find a lot. And there's so many commonalities that we have in the human experience. Um, and, you know, we focus on the traumas, but the storytelling, there's so many great stories. And, and you know, Dan at the beginning said, wonderful story. This is a wonderful story. This is amazing. And I, I Amy, we've got just a couple of more minutes, but I want to talk, I, I wish this was a two-parter Um, because we've barely got, we, we haven't even touched on that recovery.
1: Yeah.
2: And it's just, I'm fascinated and (laughs) I'm so happy that, that you've shared with, with us. And since we do have to wrap up though, I just want to ask you like, what, what is your advice? What, what is the one thing that you'd say to, to the listener that might be struggling?
1: I, I would say that there is a power within, within you. There's a power within each of us that lies there waiting to surface, we push it down and push it down and try to do other things and make it into something it's not. But it's there. If we will allow ourselves to see it, to look inside, to polish that mirror and go within and see what's in there, that power will surface and will come. And it's life-changing. I'm telling you, it can be life-changing, figuring out what your story is and sharing it with others can be life changing, and that's what I have found in my life, and that's the message that I want to share with others: is and, you are powerful,
2: and you can look good doing it with some uh, <laughs> some of Amy's products as well. <laughs> there you
1: go. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Yes. So th- th- that's wonderful, and you know the I one of the things that I haven't said because maybe the <laughs> listeners aren't all that interested. Uh, one of our former guests, Nassim, her father was. The reason I recognized Rumi is her her father would actually, when he was alive, would read um, some Rumi on, on YouTube. He's an older man and he's, Nassim is, is Persian. And uh, I think that, that just sometimes I look at the universe and just the way things kind of come together and it's like, huh, you know, wasn't expecting that today. And uh, yeah. I know, sh- I know she's going to yell at me later for saying he's a poet or a philosopher or something, because <laughs> um, I know that's something that was very important in her childhood and <laughs> her life. Um, but I did want to throw that out there. And Amy, I, I, I've said all the things uh, you, you are wonderful. This was just an amazing story. And, you know, I, I never know what we're going to get when we come into these stories and this is incredible and it is a wonderful story. And I, I mean, I, there are times I, I was on the verge. I I feel my eyes welling up both. It's sad Mm -hmm. moments and, and the, and right now, um, just seeing you and the positive attitude. And there are moments that, I saw in your smile just out happy or proud or, or or whatever in certain moments um just thinking back to to some of your journey. So um
0: where can people follow up with you if they want to learn more from you if they want to know more about you?
1: Of course, they can go to my website. It's www.polishthemirror.com.
0: Perfect. And we'll have a link to you and to your website in the show notes and also on our website. Um, awesome. Sounds good. And you help people develop their stories.
1: Mm -hmm. There's so much more to it than that. Honestly, I take a hundred emotions because if I ask someone how they feel, they will give me one of five emotions. We know like five emotions. So I take a hundred of them and I have categorized them into 10 different stages based on their vibrational frequency, which a lot of people are not familiar with, but Mm -hmm. Um, everyone, Sounds like has some a, hippie
0: stuff to me, but I'm into it. <laughs> Keep going.
1: It is. Everything has a vibrational frequency. Most of us live in the lower level vibrational frequency emotions. So we th- see things from a negative perspective. We, we're not motivated. Life is humdrum. But if we learn how to move into the upper level emotions, vibra- vibrational frequency emotions, then our life, the perspective is completely different. We're motivated. Life looks happy and fun. And it's just shifting, shifting gears and realizing I need to live in these upper level emotions. So it's a 10 week program. We go through each uh, of the stages individually. I have them journal about it, um, what they learned from those. And then at the end, we look for patterns and figure out what their story is that they may want to share with others. And so you ask about a podcast. I'm actually doing a 100 days, 100 emotions series right now. It's streaming live on facebook linkedin and youtube cool um and so just at polish the mirror is my youtube channel you can see some of those there and i'm having uh, special guests come in talk about and when they experienced a specific emotion and what they learned from it and so each day is a different emotion for 100 days are you
2: literally doing this in like consecutive 100 days
1: Wow. I'm exhausted, but yes, <laughs> oh, there's Amy so doing a bunch of stuff again. <laughs> Imagine that, right? <laughs> I just well, finished day 13 this morning, and so I have a long way to go, but I'm yeah. determined to, to do it. I think it's going to be worth it.
2: I'm humbled and I'm grateful. And I've said it. I diagnosed you earlier, but we always diagnose people <laughs> at the end. You are a decent fucking human. Thank you so much for appearing. And as always, this has been absolutely, positively terrible. I met
1: you
2: back a Tonica Fest. I confess I was nervous and stressed
0: because I thought you were-
2: Terrible is a part of the Terrible Podcast Network.